Howdy. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, the show where we talk science, tech, oil, business, politics, and more. Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Graham. Together, we're the hosts of this circus. To follow the conversation, make suggestions, or rant and rave, please visit the forum Software Underground at swung.rocks. Hello, dearies. Welcome to Undersampled Radio, episode 77. We have an excellent show for you today because I'm in a very echoey room because I have been kicked out of my house. Oh, which is my normal, which is my normal recording studio these days. Um, actually, I have a, a pretty sweet command center that I set up for podcast recording at the office, but I have house guests and I am minimizing my time away from them. So I am at a conference center business room thing in the apartment building huh. here in Austin, Texas. Convenient. So you need a third studio, Studio 3. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting out of control. What's on the wall behind me, yes. Um, modern art, I guess. Can't see it. Can't it look kind of interesting. Head. Is yeah. it? Are they cartoons? Tune in on YouTube to see us. No, it's just, uh, I don't know, some writing, some scripted huh. typography with some textural elements as well. It's a little huh. dimpled stuff. I'm going to talk, stop talking about art, and we're going to do some uh, news bullet points, and we're going to introduce our guest. So oh, goodness. first thing on the list, Matt. Well, actually, <laughs> Matt doesn't have any bullet points, so I'll <laughs> go first. Uh, oh, yeah, you can't upgrade from Ubuntu 16 to 18 with the old standard disk upgrade, which apparently isn't a thing. It's do release upgrade until mm. July. Right. Man. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Mind you, I've done do release upgrade before and it didn't go well for me. And I've ne yeah. I've never done it since. So well, so you now I just, just blast have... it away. <laughs> yeah, I either I either re just start a new one or I or in some cases just leave them forever. <laughs> so oh. I do have a couple of instances there. Still on twelve. It's just probably pretty bad, right? Is that bad? What are they running? Nothing. It, nothing. No critical infrastructure. I hope. Then, no, no, nothing like that. But um, the seismic, the, the seismic boats, autonomous seismic boats driving around in the Atlantic, the North Atlantic on Ubuntu twelve. <laughs> but that, that, but that's. I, I'd be surprised if they're even on twelve. They're, I mean, yeah, that's true. If, yeah. Um, okay, don't get nasty. We're only three minutes into the episode. No, no, not not because of that's not any kind of commentary on on you know IT in in industry or anything. That's more just like isn't that just how you run big important stuff? Is it's you lock it in and it never changes, isn't it? I mean that's what NASA do, right? That's why everything runs on elastic bands and pipe cleaners Fortran. in space. <laughs> Fortran. Um, <laughs> But honestly, that does it does bring up a point though, and I bet Ramy's got some opinions on this too. Or well, anyone who works with computers probably does, but he probably does more uh, important things <laughs> than we do. <laughs> but um, like anything you want to do, uh, if you want to do it properly, you know, if, like, let's say you release an app and you want other people to actually use it, then suddenly you've got. It's hard. It's hard for people who haven't been through it to understand how much nonsense there is 
keeping something like that running on secure infrastructure that actually works and isn't horrendously glitchy or sort of vulnerable. It's, it's basically a whole other isn't, job. Isn't that why Microsoft is still a company? Yeah, I suppose it is. But this sort of DevOps thing, like it's a real thing and it's awful. Sure is. Yeah. I'm excited to announce that we have a... a <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I'm excited to announce that Riddle Me This is back. Yeah, I'm excited to hear that. What is that, Scotch? It is, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so I I heard uh, when we were doing these things consistently, I heard several times that our riddles were too hard. So I came up with an easy one. <laughs> I know. I know. Audience, step up. If you don't get this one right, just quit listening to the show. Well, you probably already have, but anyway. Um, so one more news bullet point here, which is uh, there's a conference coming up. Uh, what, next week, the APG, that, that's the one you're talking yep. about? Yeah. Yep. And I just bring that up because <clears throat> there's an unsession happening during mm. that event and yeah, everyone refuses to tell me what is happening with the unsession. So A, what is the deal, Matt? And B, uh, what the hell, man? <laughs> well, the general idea is that it's just another session. But um, instead of being people reporting on research projects that are essentially over or have reached some kind of milestone, and they're sort of looking, they're like retrospectives, this is a more of a looking forward thing. So the idea is we get however many people we get, let's say 40, 50, 80 people, I don't know, um, show up. And we want to talk about machine learning in, in geology, uh, maybe with an industrial angle, but maybe not. Maybe, maybe it's all academics who come and they want to think about just the science problems. And we will shepherd multiple parallel conversations between these professionals and students and people that show and um, and try and glean some useful uh, insights and forward-looking, not promises, but speculation about the near future. And what are the I, deliverables? I would, the deliverables, are, I'd like to see primarily a list, ranked, filtered list of the most interesting slash tractable uh, machine learning problems, or let's say scientific problems in geology that could be attacked with machine learning uh, over the next kind of decade. So anyone who's looking for, you know, a research project or funding or things that might be of value uh, to the community or to industry um, will have a kind of cheat sheet for problems that are, uh, have been validated and known to be um, interesting or valuable. Um, <laughs> Some site. I'd love to also see some a little bit of like curated or crowdsourced list of interesting data sets, uh, libraries, things that people are doing, recent successes, and that kind of thing. But I'm most interested in that list of sort of pressing questions in in geoscience machine learning. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see the outcomes. I'll be there, mm -hmm. haranguing Excellent. you with ideas. <laughs> Good. There'll be lots of uh, lots of uh, software underground folks there. Cool. But yeah, I'm kind of I'm into this idea of 
it being like parallel computing. Like instead, because a lot of academic discussion sessions are handing a microphone around and listening to one person at a time. But in this thing, if, if the room is full, we'll have 12 parallel conversations happening. So we can get a lot done in a short period of time. That's like, so we've got half or a day a with 12 noise. tables. That's mm -hmm. the same as having um, a discussion session six days long. It, I suppose that's true. By my, yeah. <laughs> Good. Think of the value. So, it's a whole conference happening in one room, in one session. <laughs> that does sound amazing. Yeah. So speaking of machine learning in the geo sciences, our guest today is Dr. John Ramey. He is the principal data scientist at Novi Labs. Welcome to the show, Ramey. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, so we have a couple notes in here about your various endeavors. One is one of my favies here in Austin, and that is Austin Deep Learning Meetup. What's that about? <laughs> um, so my background is stats. So um, to be honest, uh, my buddy Pierce Spittler and I, we started that meetup. Uh, I was very skeptical about deep learning. And you know, uh, I think I still am skeptical about that meetup. Uh, or about the tech and I guess the meetup too. Um, I read a book, uh, it's just called Deep, Deep Learning by Goodfellow. And all of a sudden I went, wait a minute, there's actually some science to this. It actually has uh, st statistics as its, as its fundamental, its foundation. And I was actually blown away by that. So uh, this was in the early days of the meetup. I went, hey, actually there might be some uh, real possibility here to, for me to personally explore. Um, in the meantime, it blew up on, on us. Uh, we went from thinking the first meetup was going to be five members, 10, you know, 10 attendees. And all of a sudden, our first meetup, I think we had 200 RSVPs, 150 RSVPs. I don't even know. That's probably not even right. But I just remember being blown away going, what is with this hype? So the first talk I gave it, uh, it was the title of the talk was deep learning, demystifying the hype, uh, because the, the point of the meetup is to get away from the buzzwords. Uh, I, I got really pissed off last night. We had a meetup, and uh, I walked in to, uh, we're, we're hosted by Capital Factory here in town, and I walked up and I said, hey, is the deep learning meetup here? I just want to make sure. He's like, oh, are you here for the blockchain meetup? And I got really pissed off. <laughs> Why did I get pissed off? Because I do not want to be associated with just buzzwords, you know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and okay, so I have no idea why I was so pissed off, but I was nonetheless pissed off. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, you do a whole meetup just on buzzwords? You know, I, I, there there was one next door. Of... I mean, blockchain meetup next to the, uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe. It's so awesome one. deep learning meetup really is awesome because each one of the talks is sort of about some applied thing, or at least, you know, I've tried this and succeeded or failed, but it, it really is concrete taking really cool stuff that we've all read about in literature, or at least in the Twitterverse and explaining it using examples. Yeah. So well, that's cool. The early days of that meetup were, I don't know, we didn't really know what we were doing and there's no implication that we know what we're doing now. Uh, I don't think we're, we know what we're doing. <laughs> Um, but on the other hand, I think the talks are getting more and more interesting. I mean, over the last several months, uh, we've had actually Graham uh, twice, I think, twice. Um, but we've had yeah. a lot of interesting talks where like, we've encouraged the community to 
do something more than an ImageNet problem. So if you're not familiar, basically classifying does this image have a cat or a dog in it or something like that. Um, do something more interesting than just image classification. And people are starting to come up with some pretty clever and creative things. So um, I, I've been overwhelmed recently with just volunteers to uh, to give talks. Uh, my, my personal project, I'm actually giving a talk, uh, not really sure when, um, but I am actually uh, image captioning celebrity Instagram and then tweeting it out, right? So I wanted kind of like an intermediate project that said, hey, you can do more than just classify cats and dogs. And I'm looking for the most controversial of all of the <laughs> captions labeled to say Kanye or uh, Kim Kardashian or something like that. So I'm like hoping my title, title of my talks is something like my Twitter bot thinks that Kim Kardashian looks like a camel. Like you know, that, that would be a great talk title. And uh, <laughs> so that, hopefully that thing goes uh, Hacker News, uh, Reddit popular. <laughs> is, so what, what's the training data set look like? Are you training on realistic captions? Or are you training on snarky, sarcastic captions? I am using the, uh, what is the data set called? Is the MS Coco data set. Um, gotcha. It's using uh, the VG, EGG19. Uh, model and I'm just cutting off the head of the doing some transfer learning with VGG19 uh, and then using an LSTM model to uh, train captions from the MS Coco data set. So nothing too fancy. I'm much more interested in the the headline of calling Kim Kardashian a camel or something along those lines. Yeah, I was hoping you could train it with like the, the captions you use are like from the National Enquirer or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that might be a pretty interesting. <laughs> Mixed with National Geographic. Yeah. Then you'll then get you all your wildlife references. <laughs> You're golden. <laughs> That's it. So um, we have some links in the show notes if you guys want to go check those out. We have links to Ramey's Twitter, LinkedIn, and blog. I didn't realize you had a blog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I started that several years ago, and uh, over the last few months, I made a commitment to myself that I was going to make that into a real thing. Like I was going to uh, release posts regularly, so at least once a month. Uh, so for the last two months, I've been able to do that. Uh, awesome. Really, I'd like to get that to a point to where it's weekly or biweekly. Um, the, the focus That's there. That's a lot is, of writing. Yeah, it is a lot of writing, but uh, I actually enjoy it. it. Helps me clarify my thoughts. Cool. You should check out Matt's blog. He, um, agilescientific.com. Um, they have an amazingly wide variety of topics and it's a very well read blog and it's a semi well written blog. Uh, so <laughs> you should definitely, definitely read it. It's, it's, uh, it's awesome. And it covers some of the topics that I think you and Novi are interested in. Um, do you want to, Oh wait, I was going to move on, but, uh, before I do, <laughs> do you have a, uh, a time series talk coming up at Austin Deep Learning? A time series talk. That is a really good question, yeah. and that's actually one that I, I've um, tried to get people interested in, but unless it has anything to do with NLP, people don't really care about sequential models. Uh, the short <laughs> answer is no. Uh, <sighs> I would be very interested in one of those. So if you have something in mind, please uh, volunteer. Mm -hmm. Because uh, I think there's some pretty cool stuff you can do with time series. I think so too. I thought so long enough to study it for seven years. So um, 
or related concepts. Anyway, cool. That sounds good. Now back to Novi Labs. What are you guys doing? So no no V N O V I. It's like no V I, like as an Emacs only. But Emacs only <laughs> as a company name didn't really work out. So like we said, okay, how about no V I? Uh, hence Novi Labs. Um, short of it is uh, we are a bunch of uh, machine learning data science folks as well as software engineers who are learning this oil and gas uh, world that's uh, large and crazy and filled with a lot of technologies from, uh, I don't know if, if they were studying the dinosaurs before they started to decay and like, <laughs> the, the point being is that, you know, the technologies are ancient. Um, what we do is we predict how much oil is gonna come out of the ground uh, at, at the, uh, for primarily for uh, unconventional horizontal wells in North America. Uh, we are a scrappy startup. We've been around for about three years. But our focus is on completions optimization, uh, in particular, um, fracking solutions, how much uh, propent should be pumped into the ground, how much fluid should be pumped in the ground, um, how far should space uh, wells be spaced, uh, a lot of questions around frack hits, a lot of questions around um, artificial lift, and a, a lot of terms that I'm throwing at you that I hardly understand myself because uh, <laughs> well, and gas has a lot of terms that I'm, I'm still learning. But I've yeah, been there it's basically just a language. It is. A, it is a language. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That was invented in a time before time. <laughs> yeah, I think that's. So I wanted to get you on the show because I think you and Matt are working on some similar problems and have similar mindsets. Matt's background is in geo. Your background is in statistics and signals and data. Uh, do you have anyone over there that knows anything about geology? Uh, that is a good question, and the answer is no. Um, actually, that's not quite true. Our CEO, he worked for a large oil and gas company for several years. Um, right now, we were actually seeking a unicorn. And Graham, you and I have had this conversation before. Uh, I actually found a unicorn. Ooh. And uh, he, he was European, and he was about to sign the dotted line, and his wife said, hey, we're going to move to Europe. And uh, so the unicorn, oh, man. He's, he's the one that got away. Uh, but Oh, man. Yeah, like this was one where it wasn't just a, okay, you kind of align with, with where we're headed. No, it was like it would have been the perfect fit. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, um, he's going to be the one that got away. <laughs> Bummer. But, uh, but we don't have any geophysicists or uh, geologists or uh, petro anything at our at Novi currently. Gotcha. Well, uh, if you are interested in those types of things, get in touch with Ramey. You can find him on LinkedIn. You can find him on Twitter. Whatever. Um, okay. So tell us more about. Let's dive into the problem you're solving over there, and tell us more about how you are predicting, let's say, production from data. What, what day did you start with? That's a good question. Um, we try to keep it simple um, when we're actually answering these questions. Um, there's three buckets. Uh, so basically there's public information, uh, well header data. So like simple things like the name of the well, uh, unique identifiers, latitude and longitude, uh, all the boring stuff. Um, then there's the various completions data. Uh, some of that's publicly available, some of it's not. Um, examples of things that are not publicly available would be uh, 
uh, it, it depends on the state within the United States. Um, some states re require reporting on things like how much profit was pumped into the ground and the like. Um, but like things like uh, clusters and stages, if you're familiar with that, those are not always reported uh, to the public simply because they're not required. Some states are um, have many more requirements than others. Uh, moving on from completion, uh, beyond that would be uh, geo, right? So I don't mean that to be, I mean, I know this is a machine learning for geosciences podcast, but for us, um, we're primarily focused on subsurface data. And in particular, what we're, we end up doing is we end up ingesting uh, interpretation models from oil and gas companies. So our, our, um, our customers are operators, uh, large companies that I had never heard of, but no doubt you had, you've heard of them before. Um, you know, there's the ones that have gas stations, and those are the ones I knew about. And there's everybody else I had never heard of. Uh, so those are our customers. But ultimately, we're ingesting interpretation models. Um, we also receive uh, well log data from from our customers as well as seismic data. Uh, we do not utilize those latter two well enough right now. Um, the our focus is on trying to characterize a well both by its completion data and its uh, subsurface data, uh, best to predict short-term uh, production and long-term production. So short-term in our world is six months to two years. So we can accurately predict oil uh, production uh, reliably so, especially depending on the basin, uh, within eight to 10% uh, and some extreme cases. Uh, but we hover around about 15% um, within how much oil is going to come out of the ground uh, six months out to two years. So long-term is more of we're using classic reservoir forecasting techniques and we're taking our short-term predictions and we're forecasting them to uh, EUR, uh, you know, 30 years, 50 years, or just end of life of a well. Um, we're utilizing that. So one of the reasons I joined Novi a year and a half ago is we don't just predict how much oil is going to come out of the ground. And, and I'm focusing here on oil. We, we do a lot of work on gas and condensate and even water, predicting how much water is gonna come out of the ground for uh, operational reasons. But um, our focus is on, um, we, we have a, a piece of software, we call it uh, economics, um, our economics application. And what we're doing is we're, um, we, the way we say it is we're giving a crystal ball to an oil company. If they, if they make various changes to their completion uh, design for the upcoming year, this is going to be the ROI. So there's a lot of financial metrics that we uh, expose to an oil company to say that if you increase your the profit being pumped into the ground from a thousand pounds per foot to fifteen hundred pounds per foot, uh, that's going to be more expensive because you're going to be you know putting a lot of more sand into the ground, and then there's the operational cost of getting the sand to the to the well. But on the other hand, um, pumping more profit into the ground generally. Uh, yields a higher uh, oil production. So therefore, there's going to be uh, you know, more revenue. So the, the question is, what is the biggest bang for the buck? And what we encounter very quickly is that some oil companies care about the next quarter, and some oil companies care about 10 years from now. And of mm -hmm. course, that changes every few weeks, simply as the uh, price of oil changes, and a new CEO comes into a company or something like that. 
Yeah, right. Interesting. So do you, uh, it sounds like then these the the, the predictions um, that your clients want are sort of pre-drill. It's like if we go drill over here, if we put a pad there, if we go by land over here, what kind of returns are we expecting? That's or exactly it, right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. Exactly so right. it's, so it's an expiration tool essentially, and a sort of spe speculation and exploration tool. Yeah, I would focus more on the speculation. Uh, I would say hmm. um, scenario, uh, like a what if scenario. Uh, right. In particular, the reason I, I say not exploration is because generally speaking, the the wells that we're forecasting oil about are those that already have been permitted. Uh, they are, there's actually a permit to say that this it may not have been drilled yet, or it may be in the process of being drilled, um, but it certainly there's a permit on it. So. The exploration part has already been done, mm -hmm. uh, specifically on the latitude and longitude. Of course, there's other questions like how, how deep should this go? What formation should you go through? Uh, those questions are generally we are giving guidance, but uh, our software does that a little bit. Um, but we, we certainly do not focus on that. Um, right. Our goal is to empower uh, mostly reservoir and completions teams. Um, and but we need our geological components of our, our, our models to be, we need to improve them. Uh, right now we're doing some fairly simplistic things. I can't go into too many details, but uh, we have great improvements to be made. And so when we actually interview uh, people, we're actually saying this is how we're doing it. We realize you know, there's improvements to be made. We've had a couple of geophysicists who've walked in and they're like licking their chops going, <laughs> I really would like to tackle this problem. Um, because they, they do see improvement mm -hmm. uh, to be made. And you guys are doing this uh, with a, a, like a desktop application, is it, or a web app, or it's a, it's it's a human beings? Oh, okay. it, it's a web app, right. So uh, if, the, if the customer is Graham's Oil Company, uh, there will be a URL that says grahamsoilcompany.novilabs.com. I see. That's yeah. pretty cool. So they so the, the, there's, well, um, you know, obviously, I I don't know which bits you you're sort of cool, cool talking about, but um, there's like a grand model, and then they can provide some of their own data, and there's a kind of transfer learning on then on their data, so that it's sort of tweaked for them, um, or it's oh, all based on their own stuff. You, well, you said they're mixing; you're mixing public and proprietary data. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so to to clarify, uh, often that has it's more up to the customer. Um, we have some, hmm. some customers who are based in, say, the, uh, in North Dakota, where the reporting requirements are pretty stringent, and therefore hmm. the data is much better. Um, okay. Often what we have there is a basin-wide interpretation model for things like porosity and other, a variety of other things um, that will be basin-wide or nearly basin-wide. And so the completions data we can trust, and often the questions we're being asked are completions-based. So we're able to use every well or almost every well if, if they believe that their interpretation models are reliable outside mm. their, their own purview, like where their wells are. Um, the other areas of the country, there may be 10,000, 15,000 wells in a basin, um, but the questions that a customer have are very specific to their proprietary data. So what it ultimately means is that even though we have 15,000 wells, we have to narrow that data set down to two or 300 wells, which mm. makes it pretty challenging to uh, answer some of the questions. Um, fortunately, we've been able to make vast improvements there. 
Uh, and transfer learning, like you mentioned, that comes up a lot. Like, okay, even if we have to filter down to 300, is there some other way we can incorporate all of the other wells we've, we've thrown out? Uh, how mm -hmm. do we incorporate those into our models? So that comes up quite a bit. How yeah. much interpretation goes on? I mean, how, how much, um, in terms of selecting which wells to use, how much, how much uh, geoscience goes on? Uh, th that's a really good question, and I, I don't want to uh, paint a picture of sophistication here. Um, is actually we are relying on expertise uh, from that that company, uh, some customer. Um, generally speaking, it's how much uncertainty is in your interpretation model in a various part of the basin, and if there is a uh, if there's some measure of uncertainty that. Uh, um, there's some area of the basin where there's much less uncertainty. We may truncate the focus of the basin down to that that, that subset. Um, whereas in other other basins, um, we will rely on the expertise of the oil and gas company uh, to um, if they like I mentioned before with North Dakota. Often the, the companies we worked with in North Dakota, there's a belief that their interpretation models are pretty good across the entire basin, uh, and therefore those are reliable. Uh, so the designation of reliable and unreliable, that is something we typically leave to the customer, but also we're trying to increase our own chops there, we're trying to understand that better and better. So we are trying to bring um, in-house expertise to help us better uh, make that delineation. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I have a question in the show notes, which is snarky, but it, it kind of drives at a point that we talk about a lot here on the show, um, which is, do we need domain experts anymore? <laughs> I, I mean, you have a unique take on this, in, in my opinion, so I'd like to hear what you have to say about this. Oh, here it goes. <laughs> but no, but I'm serious. I mean, how like uh, percentage wise or, or just gut feeling wise or whatever, uh, how much domain expertise do you need to accomplish your task? And then more generally, data science. Let me, let me see it from a slightly different perspective rather than making some broad sweeping claim. I believe from what I'm seeing coming in as a know very little about oil and gas, know a little bit about data, that the first question I asked when I, I went to some major uh, oil companies was, what do all these people do? Um, like you, you'll, you'll go to an oil company <laughs> and you'll have, I, I will hear that there are 100,000 people who are focused on some problem. And my question is, what, what, why? <laughs> I mean, um, I, I don't mean to be too reductionist, but, it, but it's, it's simply like, how are all of these people working on the same problem? That's, to me, I, I don't understand. So let, let me add some uh, a concrete example there. I went to an, one oil company and I, I was asking some questions of, about the interpretation. With a lot of humility, hey, I don't, I don't really understand this stuff. Can you help me better understand so we can make our models better? It was, it was great, and I was talking to a completions engineer, actually. And uh, that situation was uh, not unique. It was very much of a get the uh, geo guy in here and uh, let him export his interpretation. So it was, it was very much like he, the geo guy was at the beck and call of the completions guy. And uh, he said, well, I can fit you in in six weeks to eight weeks, and I'll get you the data you need. So but my, my point was, is like, OK, so I asked the, geo, uh, the geophysicist, I believe he was geophysicist, 
what does he do? He's like, ah, well, you know, I spent about 10% of my time like tweaking a model I built several years ago. And I was like, well, what do you mean tweak? He said, uh, you know, there will be a study in a, in a, 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 an area of interest and we will tweak our um, spatial model, uh, subsurface spatial model to uh, better incorporate that information. I'm like, oh, okay, so like you're adding new features or adding new data. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm literally tweaking the parameters to match the expectations of the company. Uh, my, my main point is like to come back to your original question, I was like, why can't we just automate that portion away? So like it, it, there are certain aspects yeah. of like you, um, you need somebody who knows whether this model is correct or not, but do you need 50,000, 100,000 people? I don't know the actual number. Uh, I, when I talk to executives, it's usually hyperbole. But uh, the like, but do you really need fifty thousand people focused on that? Now, to come back to your original question, like I, I'm not going to say you don't need any, but I would start by saying you don't. You probably don't need fifty thousand. Could we uh, somehow empower the you know five hundred, uh, a thousand, with with algorithms or just remove a lot of the junk in their way to. Um, um, ultimately to make the, the models predicting how much oil is coming out of the ground uh, to empower those a little bit better. But Matt, do you think that would solve the problem in the oil and gas business? <laughs> well, removing more humans to ge geoscience ones. I don't know. I, I think it's really in the, the shale plays, especially are really interesting. Um, I mean, I have not worked a lot of shale, but my impression is that um the ge geoscience has been kind of shut out of the shale plays to a to a great extent compared to what we would call conventional plays like you know the north sea and what have you um where the models are essentially completely driven and almost all of the decisions are completely driven by by geoscience um my and 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 i think that's so it's interesting that, and there's, there's lots of reasons for this, but it's interesting that when data science comes in, it also has a hard time bringing geoscience into that picture. Like, I don't believe that, that the geology has nothing to do with those plays, but the indications are that it doesn't matter too much if you don't know much about geology, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? The empirical yeah. evidence suggests that you can largely ignore it and still make a lot of money. Um, obviously, arguable whether that's the purpose of of exploration, but um, yeah. So I mean, I think I, I just you know I don't know what that means. I just think it's it's quite interesting that this second wave, if you like, is of of um, of shale exploration. And by that I mean like the first wave, I would say was also data driven but it was excel spreadsheet driven mm, yeah and this this new wave is data driven but it's actual data science and, and statistics yeah. well it's still powered by spreadsheets so let's <laughs> sure there's the spreadsheets all the way down at some point but i think there's a there's a, been an awakening in the last three or four years that there are tools out there that are much better suited to this than bar charts in, in excel yeah. Um, so, is there oh, sorry. a percentage of recovery that will never occur without domain expertise? I mean, 
is there something you unlock that you can't unlock with statistics? I, yeah. I mean, you, I, look, I'm a geologist, right? So I gotta, I gotta cling to the idea that the earth is really complicated and we know a lot <laughs> yes. about geology and, and surely we can get an advantage that way. Um, but have you, but, have you heard uh, this paper called uh, Machine Learning for the Geosciences by Carpatney? Yeah, it's good. Yeah, so like the that paper, there's one specific instance I think is relevant. Um, when I found this paper, I, I, I viewed it as uh, very relevant to what we do. So I was in a, a, a meeting one time explaining machine learning to a lot of uh, reservoir engineers, and uh, I think there were a couple of uh, geologists in the room. And one person blurted out in the middle of my talk while I was giving it like a high level overview of machine learning, is this going to replace my job? And very quickly, the, the, the conversation from there stems to, um, it turns to physics versus AI models. This, this yep. comes up all of the time. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why I like the Carpatney paper is it says that rather than trying to dichotomize and say, hey, it's either or, it's trying to find a happy medium uh, of the two. Mm -hmm. So like one way to say it is like from a statistical perspective, if you have a, enough data, whatever that means, uh, and you, you have an objective function that is reliable, it still may, or the, the recommendation or that your model may not uh, abide by the laws of physics. Uh, it may be, um, it may be close, but it, it you know it may not fully. So, like in, in one sense, uh, what Carpatney argues, like one approach is to uh, add constraints to objective functions on a, a machine learning algorithm. Um, but to be very clear, I don't know what those constraints should be. Like if, if I have this objective function, I'm trying to optimize. I'm not a geologist. I I need the input of of somebody uh, like yourself, Matt. So I, that's that's why I'm I'm quick to say I don't think geologists go away, but um, because like we have seen instances where our our, our models are for ninety five percent of the cases are very very accurate, and then there are these five percent of the cases where it doesn't make any damn sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's like mm -hmm. even where I like to an expert like yourself, you would you would ask the question, what is going on here, and I certainly can't answer the question. And so those often, you know, you could classify them as data quality issues or whatever. But at the end of the day, no one knows what's going on with like, why is there a, a data quality issue or uh, a data sparsity issue? Those are questions that are very difficult for somebody like me to answer because I don't understand the geology well enough. So the, the Carpatney paper, why I really like it is it talks about blending the two. And so like at Novi, when, we, when we're talking to data scientists, um, ideally, we do have, uh, we, we are bringing somebody on board who has at least some oil and gas knowledge, but hopefully they're either geophysics or uh, Petro in some way have background who have learned this data science thing. So we are not hiring people who are outside of that scope. We, we believe that you can marry those together. Now, at first we, we thought, oh crap, this is gonna be a unicorn we're trying to find. That's gonna be very expensive. Uh, and then as we started looking, we kept finding more and more people who really know this stuff. Some people were better than other at the data science. Some people were better than others at the, the uh, subsurface, the geo. 
Um, but then we're finding a happy medium where we think that there's an overlap enough that maybe people like yourself, Matt, have learned this data science thing and were able to combine those two approaches. So I don't think it's an either or. I do think that uh, as we move forward to the second wave, like you said, um, there is possibility to, to combine the two approaches as opposed to abandoning the expertise. Yeah, right. No, I um, absolutely. And the other thing I really like about that paper is that the, the authors do a really good job of of sort of um, surveying all of the the things that make doing data science and machine learning in with the earth really difficult, right? About the huge range of time scales, the huge range of spatial scales, the fact that things have fuzzy edges. You know, it is it's nothing like learning on logs from your you know your uh widget selling website <laughs> it's, it's not that kind of data at all and and uh, and i i think it just intuitively i sort of hope i guess that it cracking those problems or if not cracking them then at least optimizing them and solving them as well as we can solve them with better than human level performance is is going to take domain knowledge i mean i think i you know i say to people like that geologist that blurted out uh, uh, this concern for his or her job uh, my response is sort of well yeah i think it might take your current job like your current tasks mm. but um i think it's going to change your job and i don't think it changes your purpose though Right. And yeah. and actually, I think if you look at a lot of people's workflows, their tasks, their day to day are not that well aligned with their their purpose. A lot of mundane crap yeah. and a lot of not really knowing if they're on the right lines or not. And a, a lot of kind of guesswork and and uncertainty and just a lot of I mean, they're just not a lot of them just aren't that good with data and don't really know how to wield large amounts of data the ability to one well at a time and to go through everything like completely manually with i mean literally you may have seen this but i mean you go places like calgary and denver there are people who cut take use scissors to cut bits of their logs up and then stick them with sellotape in different places so that they can put their interpretation together i mean right so there's some fear there, understandably, but I mean, these like people like yourselves and companies like Novi and data science can give these people amazing tools and superpowers that they've mm -hmm. never experienced before and they don't know anything about. So, I mean, I think that's hugely exciting. I hope most people do. <laughs> it's like, if you're gonna cling on to your job, then yeah, that your job, that might be a problem. Yeah, there there's a certain aspect like, there's, there's from a statistics perspective, there's the classic prediction problem, right? That's what we, that's our bread and butter. But naturally what is happening is that, right? We, we have this black box that people are starting to rely upon and therefore questions can be asked. Um, assumptions that have been tribal, that even tribes within a large organization, yeah. people are starting to ask questions that they've never been able to ask before. Uh, part of that is data because we are getting data from a variety of places. Uh, we can start having a more global perspective and a global opinion on what is happening. Um, as an example, one question that comes up a lot is, 
in, in horizontals and uncon uh, in unconventionals is that you have this well bore that can be typically 5,000 feet or 10,000 feet, uh, maybe somewhere in between, but typically you see five or 10,000. And you have very strong opinions about what are the various efficiencies of how fluids and uh, propane and a variety of other things, how those flow. And at first, when I was first getting into this, I thought, okay, uh, you know, rely on the expert fully because I don't know what I'm doing, right? I, I was new to the, the area. And then very quickly, I realized that you talk to five different people, you get seven different opinions on, on what is the efficiency flowing. And then once we started to have models that were reliable, we were able to answer that question for ourselves. And so we actually have been working with one customer who they've had strong opinions um, about, like, if you're in certain areas of uh, either Texas or Oklahoma or Denver, like you said, this efficiency efficiencies should be. Uh, some people will say it's seventy percent. Uh, you know, the the more profit, like, if you double your lateral uh, in length, you will get a seventy percent bump in oil. And somebody will say, no, 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 it's eighty percent. No, 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 it's ninety percent. Right. And uh, we have been able to reliably say, well, you're both right, just depending on where you're looking. And so all of a sudden, the conversation has changed. Like, oh, we don't have to argue over that anymore. Right. We, what, what's the next question to answer? So right now, Novi gets bombarded with all these questions because there is excitement. Like, you, you know, you were, you were voicing a moment ago. There is excitement about, well, how about we settle this other debate? And so it's right. made life interesting for us. And uh, I, cool. I, I, I think about uh, John Tukey, the, the famous quote of a statistician who says, the fun thing about statistics is that you get to play in other people's uh, sandbox or their backyard. And so for me, it's pretty fun because I'm learning a lot about oil and gas, and that's certainly not my training. But I, I feel, feel like I, you know, I know a little bit now. I've been doing this for a, quite a while now. Yeah. Um, but it, it is fun to be able to answer uh, oil, oil and gas companies that, like basically break the tie on, on debates that have been held for for years, maybe decades. Yeah. So based on on those considerations, tell our younger listening demographic what they should be studying in school. Should they focus more heavily on mathematics and modeling and data, or should they focus more heavily on some domain specific problem? I would say the first, the, the most important thing you need to know how to do is to code, and to code really, really well. Um, if that means going through mathematical modeling to learn MATLAB or double E type courses and learn MATLAB, if that means to go to a more of a computer science type program and learn Python or the like, or to be more of a statistics breed and learn R, no matter what, you should master one of those. Uh, if you go into the industry, I would recommend either Python or R. Um, but just because you master one, you should also be familiar with the others. Namely, if, you're, if you master Python, you should be familiar with R and vice versa. Um, in terms of what you should study, uh, you should be familiar with the, you should increase breadth. So you should know a little bit about machine learning. And I, I, I don't, this is, this is not meant to be um, negative in any sense. You should start with the Coursera type courses because uh, you're going to increase breadth there. But I would move beyond Coursera uh, very quickly and actually get a book, um, a, a reliable book, and start there. Uh, I'm not even speaking to coursework 
per se, because uh, I, I really don't know the answer to that question of like what courses you should take. I do know though, if you are, um, I, I do see a world where machine learning is very involved and those are, and, and the ability to code, it will be very important. Those are two things you should uh, learn. Uh, I haven't men mentioned statistics specifically. I would recommend learning more than a Statistics 101 course. I used to be a grad student. I used to teach that course all the time. Um, effectively, you learn in a semester what you can do in one line of code. Yeah. Uh, here, here's a t-test, <laughs> and here's the p-value, uh, and here's everything behind that p-value. Um, you should learn more than that. So where to start? I would actually get a um, kind of a entry master's level. Uh, book on statistical modeling or uh, a really good one I, I learned of recently is called Intro to Statistical Learning. Uh, it's basically machine learning from a statistics perspective. Uh, you're going to get a blend of, like, it's going to be more of, a, this is what statisticians really do. So mm -hmm. go beyond the elementary statistics courses. Uh, pick, up, pick up a book. Uh, I, I can't speak to all of the <laughs> the coursework that somebody should should uh, take, but I, I do believe that coding uh, and familiarity with machine learning and statistics would be very important. Excellent. Well, I'm sure you know what time what time it is, don't you? Riddle me this time. Oh, that's exciting. Oh, that's a hey, shame. Sir. I got. I, well, all right. I'm cutting you off. We're gonna have we're gonna have Ramy back on the show. <laughs> the other questions that you have. However, I did prepare a quite well. Maybe I won't say that. A simpler riddle me this than we've had in the past, and I wanted to make it statistical in nature because of this background. If you come up with the answer to this question in 0.5 seconds, Remy, don't answer it on air as we have our listeners submit their answers to us. Okay, so here's the question. You've got three computers with two DIMM slots for RAM each. Computer A has two. You writing this down? Computer A has two sticks of DDR4 RAM. Computer two has two sticks of DDR3 RAM. And computer uh, Roman numeral three has <laughs> has uh, one stick of DDR4 and one stick of DDR3. Okay, let's say you randomly select a computer, randomly select a stick of RAM, which turns out to be DDR4. What's the probability that the remaining stick of RAM in that same computer is DDR4? Yep, you got the answer, Matt? Matt didn't even need He's got. So tune in next week for the answer to that puzzle. That that uh, that uh, not quite so easy uh, uh, statistical riddle. And um, we look forward to seeing you then. Remy, what are you reading at the moment? Uh, I typically are re I'm reading three books at one time: uh, okay. one fiction, one nonfiction, and one kind of like self-help uh, fiction. I'm reading Siddhartha by Herman Hesse. Uh, nonfiction, I'm reading the first tycoon about uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt. Um, that's a really good book. It won a Pulitzer Prize in, 
it's very long, it's thick, um, but it's very, very good. And then third book is The Effective Executive by Peter Drucker. Apparently he's some uh, business management guru who's no longer with us, but this book has come widely recommended to me. So those three. Awesome. That's a lot. I don't, I wouldn't be able to keep all the streams straight in my head if I was reading three at the same time. <laughs> How about you, Matt? Uh, I am rereading a Tufty um, envisioning information. We're doing a uh, the hackathon in Copenhagen. The theme is visualization. Um, so I was I pulled that book off my shelf the other day to I don't know I was looking for a particular figure, but um, anyway I started reading it. So they're very readable books. I'd forgotten just how erudite the guy is. So anyway, highly recommended. It. It's probably I don't know six or seven years at least since I actually read one of them cover to cover. Good deal. Hey, I forgot to mention that Xperia is doing a, a women in tech hackathon here in Austin in uh, on July 28th and 9th. So okay, cool. machine learning as a product. Um, so if you are a product person and or a machine learning person, please come code with us. It's going to be awesome. It's just wall to wall events and fun things to do in Austin, isn't it? <laughs> basically, basically it is. Hey, look, I started a new book the other day. It's called Notes on a Foreign Country by Susie Hansen. It's a Pulitzer runner-up. And it is so far pretty fascinating read. This woman moved to Great. Lost ground. <laughs> It was it was threatening to happen all the way through. Yeah. Was he a still image to you for periods of time? <laughs> it seemed to be. And I the my other computer that's actually running the uh, the undersampled radio account has been sort of flickering continuously. Mm -hmm. I think it's Graham's like dodgy feed. <laughs> and it is always telling I don't know if you're on Wi-Fi, but um he's always telling people, don't use Wi-Fi. That's probably probably what he's doing. Anyway. I'm going to assume that he's not coming back just I'm yet. Back. Oh, he's back. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the Wi-Fi lasted almost the whole show. Yeah. Well, what are you doing now? You've turned into uh, old New Orleans Graham. Oh, yeah. That's a photo from my old office. God, anyway. those were the days. Thanks for joining us on Understable Radio. Ramy, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you very much. We'll see everyone next time. Right back here. Bye, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>